Well, welcome to episode 8 of Corner of Hunter and George, where I, Tim, try to interview the most exciting artists in Peterborough and our surrounding area. Today I have one from Havelock, and I'm back soon after episode 7. This was not a two or three week wait, this is just a few days wait, and I hope to have this out by today is February 23rd. I hope to have this out at the latest by February 24th. I'm talking today to Bennett Badukin, who is an excellent improvisational drummer, excellent drummer overall. Definitely his genesis is jazz, but he reaches out into a lot of different areas. Well, he's putting on a three-night show at Theatre of King, first of all. He's called The Hidden Anatomy. It's also four videos of it you can watch on Art Space on YouTube, but... Just to describe it, quoting from Facebook, I love quoting Facebook, inspired by the long history of improvising and free jazz collaboration, both locally and internationally, the performers will provide an individual, multidisciplinary, and not repeatable performance each night. The hidden anatomy brings together the disassociated, the elements of work, practice, repetition, and experimentation that are done behind closed doors are brought to the forefront. It is an exposition of how and why choices are made and presented. This is not a negation of the past. This is a drawing out, an examination, accepting our failures and moving through them. This is a negation of mediocrity, an acceptance of learning, a willingness to learn. So tomorrow, February 24th, we have Drita Blow on Dance, Laura Thompson, Video Art and Projections, Justin Million, Poet and Speaker, Bennett on Drums. Then February 25th at 8, you have Jen Cole on dance, Justin Million, poet and speaker again, and Bennett on drums. And then uh, Saturday, February 28th, 26th, I mean, at 8, you have Kate Story and Ryan Kerr on dance, Justin Million, poet, Bennett Badukin drums. So I hope you enjoy all of those. I hope you're able to get out to those, supported by Public Energy. It looks like a wonderful thing to do, and just in a COVID way, you just have to have at least two doses to get in. It does require a vaccine certificate. I mean, that, you know, that shouldn't surprise you. And Bennett also is in, he's involved in a number of music projects, but his most um, the one I see him most involved with is a band called, or a duet called Horsemen Pass By. Just quoting a band camp. Uh, that's a Havelock, Ottawa-based duo of Bennett Badukin. He's the Havelock part, playing drums and electronics with Mulk Molnar, cello and electronics. He's from Ottawa. They've been playing together for three years, and they've ground gears out on two cars, waste countless hours wandering half-liminal and rung out through truck stops on masticated highways across eastern Canada. It's a quote off Bandcamp, that sounds fun. So I might play a track from that at the end. But let's just first hear my interview that I just did, like a matter of an hour, an hour and a half ago, with Bennett Baduka. How are you doing? Hey, welcome. Uh, yeah. A little, little rough outside today, but yeah, we're all pretty good. How are you? Oh. I'm doing all right. Okay. Well, um, 
Well, thank you for taking your time to join me on this. Um, no problem. Thanks yeah. for asking me. Yeah. So I, I just have one, uh, as well as doing a uh, show on Trent Radio, I, I do one podcast where I just try to talk to different people in Peterborough's artistic community. And mm-hmm. um, you're, you're definitely a name that stuck out to me the last while, uh, mainly what you're doing now with Hidden Anatomy. Yeah. But um, I just, uh, I guess to start off, uh, just in a brief kind of way, do you, is, is there a way you can give me sort of a musical chrono, chronological or timeline of your career so far? Uh, sure. Yeah. I started playing music when I was a kid. I played guitar. Like uh, my parents had me in classical guitar lessons and I played guitar throughout high school I, uh, and it was in high school that I kind of got into the more, uh, outside music that I'm into. It was a result of, uh, being in a jazz combo with a teacher named Doug Friesen. This is in Toronto. And, um, so he had us playing all sorts of, uh, all sorts of things from like, you know, bebop to, uh, Oh man, what's the word? Visual scores and like free jazz and that kind of stuff. Um, I broke my arm uh, biking when I was 18 and then like started playing the drums afterwards. I always had drums around because my dad and my half brother are both drummers. So once I started playing the drums, it was like, you know, I'd been playing guitar for 15 years almost at that point. And within a year of playing the drums, I was infinitely better at it than I ever was at playing the guitar. And so uh, from there, uh, that's like basically where I started playing drums. I was studying with Dave Clark, who was the first drummer in the Rio Statics. Mm -hmm. And um, then I moved to Peterborough in 2009, played in a couple bands, and then... Through doing that was presenting some shows and I met my friend Mark, who is the, he's from Ottawa. He's the other half of Horsemen Pass By. Mm -hmm. Um, And now like the two main, you know, bands that I play with are Mark's band, this band with Mark Horsemen Pass By. And then I play in the Craig Peterson Quartet. Craig's a trumpet player out of Montreal. And uh, we play you know, a few times a year and we've, he's like, I I think the third drummer in that group or maybe just a second, I can't remember. Um, but I've been playing with him now since like 2015 or 2016, I think. Okay. And is there another musical venture you're in called Cold Eye or is that? Uh... That's just me playing yeah. solo. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, uh, I mean, I don't, I live outside of Havelock and I work in Peterborough and most of the work I do is in Peterborough and mm-hmm. Mark being in Ottawa or in Craig's band being mostly in Montreal. Uh, if I want to play a show or if I want to play at all, I tend to do it on my own. And so that's how I do it. Okay. Yeah. So I've listened to um, not all, but quite a bit of what you put out with Hidden Anatomy, like on Art Spaces uh, YouTube channel. Yep. And uh, 
Yeah, I not def, definitely not all of it, and it's definitely a simplification. And this is probably coming from someone who's Gen X, but I do hear a bit of what you would do on the. I think it's the first video. I'm hearing some of it, and I'm hearing, you know, that that reminds me a little bit of uh, one time I was in California and I was seeing Jack Irons, like not like do his kind of solo work. So I don't know, I, but anyway, I'm trying to get at: is there any sort of like drumming influences you've taken off of? Uh, I mean, my favorite drummers are, uh, Levon Helm in the band, Greg Sonier mm-hmm. from Deerhoof, uh, Charles Hayward, who, uh, started in this heat and now does a lot of things on his own. Um, those are like the three ones that I've like pulled from the most, but you know, there's a, a lot of drummers that matter to me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And your your natural like your natural uh, style or type uh, definitely is kind of improvisational jazz then like jazz being at the core of it. Yeah, I think that's where um, that's where everything sort of is like one half of how things are informed. Um, I don't get the opportunity to play, you know, for lack of a better word, pop music, uh, but I would like to. You know, okay. I just, I'm not a, a writer and a, a composer in the, or like a, you know, songwriter in that way. So, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm not saying, I'm not uh, blaming anybody for this, but I think because I like left to my own devices, I tend to play more free jazz stuff. I don't think that I've been considered as somebody who would be a reasonable like pop drummer in town. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but I should say like the skills involved are I are all the same in my opinion. It's just that the mute, like what I hear in my head a lot of the time is like pretty out or a mixture between, uh, you know, hip hop and funk and jazz music, but I try and push it as far as I can. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I always, I've always been of the like convinced of the thinking that I think somebody in university who played drums a bit told me like, like, uh, you know, jazz is the most difficult and most uh, meritable skill of any drummer to have, uh, you know, he's, he always like um, made that argument. And uh, uh, I don't know, I've kind of always stuck to that thinking, but um so when I'm reading what's on uh, behind what your your hidden anatomy, uh, I just a quote here. I think uh, the the goal ought not to be to report what was done by those who came before, rather to continue to uh, seek what they sought. So I just want to know if you comment on that, or just the thinking behind what you've done with you're doing with hidden anatomy. Sure, that. Um that quote comes out of this like a a broader life view worldview of like you know there's a lot of things and let's go back to music for this one where you know i could try and repeat what and become like the same drummer that max roach was for example but that's not really adding anything to the global vocabulary or the global listening habits or whatever. Like, you know, if I was to try and do exactly what Levon Helm did, um, then I would just be like a pale imitation because he's working in his own voice and working towards his own goals. 
or was. So in general, I'm trying to like draw from what I hear people were playing or doing, but I don't want to be another drummer who sounds like Levon Helm. I'd rather figure out what Levon was trying to do and figure out how to do that myself, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, in, a, in a more broad sense, you know, uh, I think tradition is a really good thing, but I think that, uh, you know, culturally um, what happens with tradition is that it just becomes like a rote learning as opposed to like an actually engaged conversation between you and the tradition uh, of whatever the tradition is. And so, you know, the reasons behind some things were, uh, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not Jewish, but I'm, I'm friends with a lot of Jewish people and I understand a bit about the, what makes kosher food or why those choices were made for like, you know, you don't eat this with this. And again, I don't know the specifics, but I think a lot of that has to do with what was healthy at the time, which then becomes codified into a religious belief that has very little to do with what's healthy now. Um, Right. As, as another example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be also like a multi-arts kind of thing that you put together. Like, I'm going to try and put this out at least uh, be- just before you uh, sure. begin, like tomorrow night. It's tomorrow night till Saturday, I believe, at Theatre yeah, of that's King. Right. Yeah. Yes. And you're doing that with with what are, other artists are with you the other nights? Uh, I've got uh, some dancers. I've got Drita Blow, uh, Kate Story, and Ryan Kerr, uh, Justin Million, who's a poet in town, and my friend Laura Thompson, who's doing, uh, she did the visuals for the first couple of videos, and she'll be doing stuff live as well tomorrow night. Right. Uh, So the the project started, uh, I don't know, four years ago, I was talking with the previous uh director at art space and we put together this project um because there's like a a lot of you know work that can be done and in my opinion should be done to like bridge gaps between various artistic communities and you know i don't think that any of the arts per se uh, uh actually function on their own i think they're all informing each other constantly but, uh, you know, most dance performances I see, the music is not as good as it could. Like, the music doesn't stand up on its own, for example. Um, it serves the dancing, which makes a great performance. But I don't see why you can't have, like, good stand-up-on-its-own dance, good stand-up-on-its-own music that is combined together, for example. Mm-hmm. So the idea was to try and bridge some gaps in the communities. And also in the public's perception of of um, how the arts work, if that makes sense. Okay. And does it also have something to do with, like, unlike, say, the electric guitar, at least how it used to be used, is like uh, like being something that has to be centerfold and dominant. The, the drum, the, the drums can either be at the center or can play along or can set the tone and rhythm for a number of different things and mediums. Yeah, I think that's an interesting uh, thing that I don't think is as looked at as it could be 
from like a broader art music perspective where like you can have the drums function as like the the foundation of the material or the drums can be another lyrical instrument or melodic instrument um and often i see drummers pick one or the other side i don't see how do you do both at the same time or how do you just play to serve the product that is happening at that moment right mm-hmm. so you know sometimes the right thing to do is just to play a, a backbeat and that's what serves the material whether it's the dancer like the pop music or whatever um and sometimes that's not the right thing to do um but it depends again on the the uh values of the performer because some drummers and some musicians and some artists in general are working to serve something that is not what they're like. I don't want to play drums for Bob Dylan, for example, because I don't think that that serves what I want to do is not what serves Bob Dylan the best. If that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like if Bob Dylan decided he wanted to rework his songs to be a real out thing, then maybe I'd be the person. But, you know, when I go see Bob Dylan, I want to see the drummer just play the material to, so that I can hear Bob Dylan. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, what I've listened to you so far, I, I'd really be scratching my head uh, th- thinking how it would fit in with Bob Dylan. So, yes, that's a, yeah. That's a, but um, uh, and that's that's meant as a compliment. But um, <laughs> now just to go back uh, to what you said, you came to Peterborough area or Havelock in 2009. So I'm yeah. correct in saying before that you lived in the Toronto area. Yeah, I grew up in it, downtown Toronto. Oh, downtown. OK. Some reason I was thinking maybe this is just from my own experience. Maybe it was Scarborough, but okay, because uh, I know there's a huge Armenian community in Scarborough. But uh, yeah, I was, uh, I'm really a part of that community. Um, yeah. My, I was born in Montreal. Actually, my grandfather ran a rug store, which then my uncle took over. Um, and we moved to Toronto because my dad worked for CP Rail. And when the referendum in '87 or '88 in Quebec hit, uh, CP moved their office to Toronto, but, uh, my dad didn't really get along with his dad. So we weren't really like he tried for a long time, tried to distance himself from the Armenian community just cause they didn't get along. And it was like a, a thing, you know, I so see. I didn't really, yeah. I didn't really grow up with it in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this something you still, I mean, I take it the any community is kind of limited in Peterborough and Armenia, or sorry, in Havelock, but it's still something you take as something, uh, it's an important part of your identity. Oh, for sure. I think that, um, you know, a lot of things inform everybody's identity, whether or not they're things that are like uh, super present, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And, you know, it's an important thing to to say, like, you know, my grandfather survived a genocide and survived and wrote a book about it. And that's all, like that informs most of my decisions, you know, like my my dad always had food in the house because his dad would lose it if there was no food in the house, for example. So like these little things that happen uh, in people's lives growing up, even if I'm not or didn't grow up as a part of the Armenian community around Toronto, um, the effects are still felt generations later. And I'm still like, it's still present in my thoughts or whatever. Right. My yeah. 
No, yeah, and I find that interesting. Not that I'll continue this, but just like uh, this is like sort of point of view of any sort of sense of um, um, national or sort of pride from vantage point of those who've uh, victimized others to those who've been victims of others, sort of thing. I find that, yeah. But anyway, you've you've outlined your various musical ventures. Um, so what? Uh, what sort of got you involved with Craig Peterson uh, quintet? Uh, you meant you said he's from Montreal, and is yeah. there anything you've you th- you see yourself doing in the near future with them? Um, well, I started playing with him because uh, he was going on tour, and his drummer couldn't make the tour last minute. He had something come up, and Craig was looking for a new drummer, and. I was already friends and playing with Mark at that point and Craig and Mark are friends and Mark suggested me and Craig took mm-hmm. a risk and uh, say the first two nights didn't go super well of that tour on my behalf because mm-hmm. I was trying to do what the previous drummer did. Like I had been sent recordings and, you know, he plays in a way that's not how I play. And so then we sat down as a band and I was like, this is how I play. And we practice that way. And like, so the band has kind of turned that way, which is, I think in, in many respects, more what, what the goal was behind Craig's compositions in the first place Um, for, for what we're doing in the future. uh, We've been like, Craig got a, a Canada council grant uh, last summer and the because there's members of the band in Montreal, Ottawa, and I live in Havelock. And uh, so we've all been recording our parts separately and sending them back and forth and responding to each other's parts. And I, I think there should be a record of that in the next few months. And then there's going to be some shows in the summer, I think. Okay. Okay. Great. Yes. Well, let's, let's hope so anyway. Um, and your solo project cold eye, I've just actually just really listened to what you did last year. Uh, garbage face. Have you done much else with this solo venture? Um, well, it's the kind of thing that I'm perpetually doing and I'm not a great, uh, self promoter. And if I have, like if I had the option, I'd always play with Mark or somebody else as opposed to playing on my own. Um, that's just not always the option. So it it has not progressed in the way that uh, maybe other people who like dedicate, like Carl with Garbage Face, like that's his project and he's constantly working on it. Um, so doing this project the past couple months has been like, I've had to just sit down and, you know, initially I was supposed to be playing with other musicians and like the whole time. And because I didn't really want people to be traveling to Peterborough and, you know, from a safety perspective, it didn't feel like the safest thing to be, you know, sitting in a room playing with musicians at the moment. Um, So I ended up just playing on my own. And so I recorded everything and now I've got, you know, 
150, 200 hours of material to sift through and try and put a record together. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, uh, yes, yeah, something should come of that. And then anyway, yeah. Or yeah. even just a combination with someone else of like, like garbage face or something like that. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of possibilities, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, now the one you seem definitely to be most engaged with. Yes. Is uh, horsemen pass by. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's the most unique combinations of sounds like that I've heard, even though it's like two main instruments, the drums and the cello with Mark, mm-hmm. but, um, it, it, uh, yes, does produce this really like, um, improv kind of like, uh, free flowing kind of, uh, sound to it that, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think you've given it, you've, at least on Bandcamp, I believe there's two two albums or two EPs you've released so far that I've I've seen so far. Yeah, yeah, I think and, so. We're working on a third one, right? But it's been delayed. Yeah, so you don't. <laughs> so when you think of the drums in any sense, really, you don't generally think of the cello. So what is it? It kind of is. Is there uh, what sort of like connected you with Mark? Yes. Friendship. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think that there's, uh, I mean, from my perspective, I don't, I, at this point, I don't see why, I don't see that instruments can't relate to each other. Uh, mm-hmm. I understand, you know, when you're talking about, uh, like, let's say reggae music, you know, you're not really thinking about an accordion. I understand mm-hmm. how that works, but I don't think that at this point in, our cultural world that that actually should preclude accordions from being wherever the fuck accordions want to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but playing with Mark is like playing with a cello player just as a duo is interesting because he can cover both um, like what would be considered like the bass range and the treble range in one instrument. Like a cello is a pretty versatile instrument in that regard which is um, does for like most listeners allow for the ability to feel like a full band when there's only two people there. Mm-hmm. You know, often if you see a drums and guitar duo, the guitarist is doing something with uh, effects pedals to like fill the bass range or, mm-hmm. or often as a listener, you're like, there's something missing sonically in the frequency spectrum. So I think we're actually pretty lucky to be able to do it, the two of us, and fill as much space as we can. Um, And I think that there's, you know, Mark and I are good friends and we have the ability to communicate what we want out of what we're doing uh, in a way that we both understand, which helps to make it work. So like it is there, you know, performing is pretty improvised, but there are definitely cues that we have pre-planned of like if we're going to do this we're going to do this afterwards and this is how we'll get there mm. for example okay and have you done a lot of either before COVID or any plans upcoming have you done a lot of shows with him like yeah we've played passed by? Mm-hmm. yeah we've played quite a bit um we've been playing together for quite a few years and we've played like we've had the opportunity to tour with a couple of um, you know, acts from the states, and also to to tour on our own, and uh, yeah, we play a lot. I think we play far more than 
uh, I realize often, you know, okay. uh, before the pandemic, I, I think we were, we had uh, like eight shows from March, 2020 to September, 2020 lined up and we're, mm-hmm. you know, we both work full time. So we got to work around our schedule, but um, you know, all of those were canceled, but we've been like, that is not uncommon. We have, we always played shows. Right. Okay. And um, with, with Craig Peterson and, or any other musical venture you've been in is like, as before COVID was uh, like, sort of, were you doing a lot of shows or touring of any sort? Um, Craig's band was the hardest to get together. We, end up playing almost exclusively like we did one or two tours when I was in the band since I've been Mm -hmm. in the band but for the most part it's just playing in Ottawa or Montreal or both back to back because that's where the majority of people are Um, but it's harder to get us together from a financial perspective because it's not just like one band starting in one city driving together it's you know i got to go to them or they have to come to me for example mm-hmm. so the 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 initial first show is like 500 kilometers of driving for at least one person so it, it it makes it slightly more difficult but we do play you know we were playing four or five times a year uh just generally for uh various shows that were happening in montreal that needed an opener and craig was asked Okay. Yeah. What I guess I'm getting at is um, like touring itself or just playing shows. Um, mm-hmm. If it's like kind of in a here, like sometimes here or there in a kind of in a limited way and definitely with COVID, of course, it's kind of been put to a halt. Are you kind of like uh, happy with that or do you kind of uh, wish it was kind of more like you could be out more in a live format more often, no matter what you're doing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wish that I could be doing it more. Uh, I actually just did a workshop through Trent radio about the like financial realities of being a musician. And okay. one of the things I talked a lot about um, and will tell you about is mm. that uh, for somebody on, you know, my level and, you know, uh, I think most musicians going on tour is really just losing money. And so it becomes a little bit difficult to choose to lose money sometimes, you know, like even if I'm covering my costs of being on tour, I still am missing work. So that is how I am losing money. You know, I'm not making that. So it gets difficult to justify more than, um, you know, a week or two a year, but, I would love to be able to pay more bills and like, you know, actually make money and do it. But that requires, uh, that requires more infrastructure than is available in Eastern Canada, you know, um, yeah. playing in the States, uh, somebody on my level costs a couple thousand dollars just to get in, for example. So once I get in, there is the possibility to play, a lot of shows really close together and, you know, make that work. But in, in, uh, in Eastern Canada, there's really only like 10 places that I can play where there'd be any people showing up, you know, like playing in, uh, 
I don't know, playing in Havelock, nobody's going to come. But if I play mm-hmm. country music, I could play at the Jamboree. You know what I mean? Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's more limited to like major major urban centers. So you know, Hamilton, Guelph, sometimes London, Toronto, Peterborough, Ottawa, Montreal, maybe Quebec City, and then it's another full day of driving before you get anywhere in the East Coast that you can play. So it it's there's just geographically it's more difficult to to make that work yeah well i was i've been listening recently sad to this uh like a podcast series uh about uh john vanderslice who owned tiny telephone records at one time in san francisco so he's coming from an american perspective and he did make money off that but he had to tour a lot like constantly and he was opening up for some big bands, but he said it just really the whole process of, of it killed him psychologically. And he yeah. just stopped after like, a, a, like several years of doing it. Yeah. I think that's and, why people paid yeah. bookers to do it, to like yeah. do a lot of that work for them because it gets really hard to like, it is another full-time job to book a tour. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh You've had a lot of delays with uh, Hidden Anatomy coming out, uh, but um, is 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 that uh, sort of process of just having to wait for the right time to put it out? Has that changed how the show's presented at all? Yeah, immensely. It was supposed the whole thing was supposed to happen two years ago, almost now, um, and was supposed to be. Uh, like a performance residency. So, you know, there was a point in time when you'd know that the same band was playing at the same club for two months and you could just show up and see them any night of the week. That was the whole goal was just like, I would be there. There'd be other musicians or dancers or other people as well. And we'd just sit down and perform and people could come and go as they pleased. Um, and so from there to like being in an empty room on my own, it's very different. And like, you know, out of, out of everybody's control, we, the pandemic was not uh, accounted for in the planning of this. Right. So yeah, the whole thing has been very, very different. And uh, I mean, it's like now four years after I started thinking about the project and it's, it's hard to remember what I was going for at the beginning yeah yeah i understand that i don't remember my state of mind of four years ago either so yeah yeah yeah. um now it'd be quite inept of me if i was not mentioning what you do outside of your musical life and that is your uh oh underworld prince and press is there anything you'd like to say about that because i honestly don't really know much about it but uh uh, oh that's fine yeah i'm i uh i have a, a printing press and i I'm very interested in printing uh, short books because long books would just take too long. Um, But I'm like a pretty avid reader and interested in uh, reading and writing and book design in general. And it was not an accident, but it wasn't like an intentional path that I went down. It just seemed to all kind of come together when I started thinking I wanted to do it. Um, So I've got a press in my shop at home and I've print like I tend to print uh, one or two short books a year. Each book takes you know several hundred hours to make, and that's because it's handset type and, mm-hmm. and 
hand printed. So then that becomes like a longer thing, which means that the cost of it is, is harder to like, it's expensive for people to buy the product. So I've Mm -hmm. been making broadsides as well. Um, But that's something that like, I've been working on only for maybe five years now. And because I have full-time job and I am like a very dedicated musician, it's like the third thing in my, priority list but you know that's still pretty high up there i guess for like general priorities and so i do work at it quite a bit and i know um the more i do it the better it gets and it is just getting better and better the product and it's something that i would like to just keep doing uh for as long as i physically can which is going to be quite a while um but it's a it's a niche thing, but it does inform what I like. It's the same things are informing each other. Like what I'm printing informs what I'm playing, and what I'm playing informs what I'm printing. I just printed a series of essays about uh, music and art making in general, for example, and the way they look visually is uh, kind of how I picture how what I'm playing looks like. Okay. Okay. So. Like your playing actually helps add to the visuals of what you would add to your printing or vice versa sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Oh, neat. Well, it, uh, at least, you know, three things is a lot to juggle, but it sounds like all three, they're not, uh, it's not a, like a forced like position to be in. You're doing things of, that you love doing. So, yeah. So since you say you're an avid reader, just out of curiosity, is there any, P, uh, book of any type that's really in, like caught you the last I don't know few months or so. You're right. Um, there's a book. There's a writer called B. Catling from uh, he's from England and mm-hmm. he wrote uh, the Vore trilogy. They came out. The first one came out in the early 2000s. But he, last year he wrote a book or he released a book called hollow, which was the first of what I assumed to be a new trilogy, which was incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, I highly recommend his books. Okay. All right. Yeah. I I don't know that one, but that's uh, okay. I will look that up. Now, Peterborough's music community definitely has uh, like a basically the same as most places that I know of has, has definitely taken some, uh, setbacks the last few years, as in not just COVID, but like a bunch of places closing even a few years yeah. before COVID. I guess, um, do you like, do you in general have much of a relationship with Peterborough's music community and, uh, sort of what, what, uh, since you seem to have a knowledge of it, since you were doing these workshops with Trent Radio, what sort of do you think is, uh, kind of like, uh, the best path for, like, uh, cause Peterborough's has, to me, Peter always has had this unique richness of the past of having its own kind of local community that did not need to be directly related to either Toronto or Montreal. Yeah. Uh, and kind of, uh, but that's definitely taken some setbacks lately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've been a part of it for a, a long time. Uh, I worked at the spill for five years until the day it closed and um through there was able to do a lot of things and be like be a part of a lot of events i think that um the hardest thing as the hardest thing and this is like a twofold answer mm-hmm. uh, 
The first hard thing is I think that from like the arts perspective in Peterborough, music is considered like a, a not an art that requires uh, financial assistance in the way that say theater does, like the theater on King or Public Energy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and somewhere, and I don't know where, and I'm, I'm not going to point fingers at it. Somewhere, music became something that happens in a bar. And a bar should be able to make money as a bar. But then what that means is that if you're playing the kind of music I'm playing, like that's not party music and people aren't drinking. So the bar can't make money on nights what I'm playing, which then limits as if, if your only options are bars means that you can only really book music that will be a party for people to drink and have fun at. Um, so that that inherently limits the ability of a diverse music community, like that financial aspect of it. <clears throat> um, a place like the Spill didn't funk like it was a bar, which is the only way the Spill made money. But that, you know, Dave made the choice that uh, he wanted as many things to happen as possible, which meant that he wasn't making as much money as he could have been. Um which, you know, for various reasons led to its closing, uh, which I'm not going to get into, but uh, he made a choice. And I think it was, from my perspective, the right choice of like, how do we support people playing music? So, you know, the first thing that he did was he wanted it to be an all ages space. And, you know, when you have high schoolers playing shows, you might have a full bar, but nobody is drinking because they can't. Mm -hmm. But it gives the opportunity for kids to come up and play more. Um, I think what the city could do is provide funding to a place to allow that to happen. Because at this point, the only venues, like as a result of COVID really, but in general, the only venues that you can play are venues that require, you know, a hundred plus person audience to even feel like there is any audience, you know, like the Red Dog or the Gordon Best or Showplace mm-hmm. or Market Hall, like, if you're playing a small show to 30 people, then it just feels like you're playing to an empty room. Right. And that's not what those venues are there for, but those venues have stuck around through other means. Like, you know, the best is associated with the only and the only is like a money-making bar. So that works, but you know, uh, there's not a venue where people can play small shows and get started. And that's like, there needs to be three really, not just one because one becomes, it's still still too small. So what I hope is that various businesses or people can find it in themselves to open their spaces up to allow smaller shows to happen, but that also requires, from the musician and audience perspective, uh, an appreciation that the business is doing something out of generosity and kindness to encourage musicians to be able to play. And it's not like there's no for-profit, you know, Um, I work at blue streak records. Now, Tim and Mm -hmm. I have talked about having shows there. That would just be one of us being there for free to let people play music. You know, like nobody's going to be buying records after hours for us to let a show happen. So if we do that, which we like, you know, once things feel safe, we might do occasionally, um, you know, 
how is the like how do we not get taken advantage of how do musicians who want to play in peterborough whether they're from town or not from town really respect the places that they're playing and that you know we're not set up in a system where they can just go and play like it's people who are giving up their time and their money to let this happen right right and so that kind of thing, like small venues, whether they're going to be small galleries or they're going to be, you know, I've played all sorts of places in other towns as well, like vintage clothing stores or coffee shops or whatever. Those places need support from the community all the time to so that they feel like it's worthwhile for them to, you know, essentially volunteer their space and their time to let things happen in their space, in their you know, rooms after hours or whatever. Okay. Yeah. No, I hear that's, that's actually quite a strong argument for that. I didn't really quite think of that myself that way. So that's, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. We're not really in the age anymore where you can assume that like, uh, you know, there's tons of spots and you can book and there, you know, government funding does not need to be involved in this sort of thing. Yeah. Which is kind of, yeah, yeah, we're probably still there mentally or psychologically. Yeah. Now I was getting that um, uh, with maybe your ties also Peterborough musical community. You have a a good understanding of it because you once did a show on Trent Radio, I believe, that looked at different, like a history of kind of Peterborough's music. Yeah. Which is uh, somewhat similar to mine. I kind of I I, I've done some historical acts, but it's mainly just what's kind of like coming out now. But. but uh, yeah, so th- that probably, I, I take it that was an enriching experience itself, getting you to know Peterborough's, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, like Peterborough has a long history of a lot of things. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, when I came to Peterborough in 2009, everybody at the time was like, oh, it's just a country town. There's only country music. And it it wasn't, but like that was what was most present. And I think it's interesting what else has been going on. You know, like there's always been all sorts of things happening in Peterborough and most places. Yeah. Like as soon as you have people, there's different things happening. And so I think it's interesting and important to bring all of it up. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, and uh I, is one goal, I guess back to hidden anatomy. So this yeah. here is, is one goal, I guess I'm interpreting from it to bring together the disassociated. Yeah. Uh, like going back to what I was saying earlier, I think, uh, and also tying into the last point, I think that it's really easy to operate as like, this is what I do and this is where I do it. And, you know, um, it kind of becomes a weird thing where it's like, like at the spill, you'd only get musicians or music fans at shows. But then at the theater on King, you only got theater and theater fans on show at shows. And you didn't really get a lot of crossover in audience, but you know, the, you should, in my opinion, if, I mean, maybe you don't like theater and that's fine. (laughs) I should say that, but uh, maybe you don't like music also fine. Uh, but I think that it's as artists and creators of, of work, it's important to be supportive of everybody, not just what you perceive as your 
community because on one hand, you know, you uh, immediately limit your reach when you stop engaging with people who are not uh, other musicians, for example. Like if I say my work is only for musicians and then from there, I also say my work is only for people who are trained musicians and not for everybody, then like my audience shrinks exponentially as I like start defining slight subcategories. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas I hope that my work can be, even if it's not uh, to everybody's tastes, I hope that it can be accessible to everybody. So the first step is supporting as many people in what they're doing so that they feel supported and then they have the energy to support other people. And maybe, you know, me supporting, I'm going to use Carl as an example, even though we're very good friends and support each other, but let's say we weren't. Uh, If I went to his show and was supporting him all the time, it doesn't mean that he has to come to mine. It just provides him more energy to want to go and support other people. And so as long as the support web grows and grows and everybody is felt to be a part of the broader community, it's a lot easier for people to feel and have the energy to do more things. You know, once you become really isolated and, and separated, uh, you know, if let's say again, going back to Carl, who's got a bigger audience than I do, but let's say that Carl's playing a show to the same 20 people every week or whenever every month. And then for one time, five people can't make it. That's a 25% drop in his audience that night. So like how, how do you expand and how do you, how do you make it seem viable for people to continually expanding their horizons of, as who they're supporting and also who they're being supported by. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent way to say it. Like uh, your uh, use of the web there for the, like, let's face it, Peterborough's kind of has stagnant growth compared to the GTA. And I think with any times our art community can come together, especially during these trying times is an excellent approach to have. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just one final question. So just going on your kind of like improvisational kind of uh, drumming style, if you were to classify yourself as a as a painter, is there sort of a, something that would link it to like, a, is it a, like abstract, surreal, something else? Uh, I So like visual art is something I don't yeah. know very much about. Okay. Uh, so this not going to be the most uh, informed answer potentially, but I mean, I guess like uh, collage type work or mixed media visual art would be the way I would describe it. Okay. Like what I'm thinking about, and it's like, this is something that I've been working on is, uh, you know, what are all of the things that I draw from when I'm playing and how do I put them together so that it's not just like, well, right now I'm playing New Orleans second line music. And then right now I'm playing, you know, uh, Cuban rhythms. And then right now I'm doing this. How do I put things together all at once? Which maybe makes it so that the individual parts are not identifiable, but they become their own part, their own whole. Okay. All right. Well, uh, well I look forward to your, I hope to come one of those nights, uh, the show uh, between Thursday and Saturday. And, uh, 
I'll definitely try and get my, I have today off work. So I'll try and get, put this out uh, at least by tomorrow at least, and I'll send you a copy. Uh, all right. Thank you right. so much. Okay. And thank you very much for your time. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, good luck in the show and uh, what you have upcoming in the Great. next few months. Okay. Oh, thank you very much. Okay. Thank, thank you. It's very interview. Yeah. Take care. to hear a track a couple years ago by Bennett Badukin's band. These in with uh, Mark Molnar called Horseman Pass By and that's the track Bolts and Rats. That's on Black Bow Records. Uh, you got to hear his description of his show as Hidden Anatomy which is on from Thursday to Saturday of this week February 24th to February 26th 2022 at Theatre on King at King and George. I recommend all you get out to that. And you got to hear his perspective on the music industry, uh, Peterborough's music community and art community in general, 
thoughts on other things as well. So I really appreciated that interview with him. I think he's someone who's extremely talented and we're blessed that has come to our area, come to Havelock, come to engage with Peterborough's artistic community. So I'm proud of myself that I did two episodes this week, uh, Samara Johnson earlier and now Bennett Badukin, so I feel like I'm on a bit of a roll. That does not mean another episode's coming out in a few days, but I don't think number nine is that far away. So I'll see you next time on Corner of Hunter and George. It's Tim Snodden. See you next time.